Hi, I'm Jake Lang. I'm with Associated Eye Care. I work on the east side of the Twin Cities metro area in western Wisconsin. I'm lead optometrist, residency coordinator uh, there, uh, also medical director for dry eye services. And I'm Josh Johnston, optometrist in Atlanta, Georgia with the group Georgia Eye Partners, where I oversee the dry clinic there and I'm the clinical director as well as residency director as well. So Josh, let's talk about the types of IOLs and cataract refra uh, refractive technologies that we have uh, in this new age of technology, as opposed to our previous generations of uh, uh, cataracts uh, IOL technology and the differences we're seeing and how those differences are, uh, can give our patients more and more options. Sure, you know, I think you are probably the same age I am, 25, right? So That's right. We can uh, identify some of those pain points we had many years ago, right? The first technology that came out, glare, halos, night vision, it was what it was, but there was a lot of chair time, especially as a referring or co-managing optometrist, helping these patients out on the back end when they right. were frustrated. We know a lot of that was residual refractive error, increasing some of those glare and halos at night. Um, leftover ocular surface disease that wasn't treated or maybe imperfections on the IOL technology, it's gotten a lot easier to be in our shoes today where we are today because of all the options, right? So we have right. more options than ever before, but options that can deliver for these patients before that were maybe perfectionist or type A or had other pathologies, which I know we'll talk about, other contraindications or limitations, previous technology, those are sort of gone, right? So we have right. many, many options now we can address spectacle independence to help those patients out where before we didn't have that opportunity. So in general, more options than ever before. It's easier, less chair time, more forgiving for the surgeon. So yeah. it's been fun to be in this new wave of what we have yeah. here today. Yeah, the path has kind of been cleared, would you say, like, you know, for those older docs, not us, but those older docs, cleared the path with regards to understanding these technologies and these options deriving those technologies so we, we know what to expect, right? So we know what to expect with regards to uh, dysphotopsias and glare and halos and how we can improve those with next generations of technology. We know how to address ocular surface disease beforehand. We've seen that already and said, you know what, we can't do this anymore. We got to do a better job treating the ocular surface so we have better biometry, better patient results, better comfort. We've done all these things and kind of cleared that path now so that this newer technology has this opportunity to explode. Yeah, it's been an evolution. You look way back, you know, uh, yeah. Stephen Dell in Austin, Texas, using the Dell questionnaire he developed to catch these sort of passive aggressive or type A patients that we wanted to avoid. Uh, to where we are today. You know, the gold standard is always to catch ocular surface disease and treat it prior to cataract surgery, as you mentioned, to get better biometry. Uh, so we don't have any refractive surprises or decreased outcomes um, with worsening dry eye or IOL calculations being off. Um, however, I will say, to argue the other side of that, this technology has gotten so much better than it was five, 10 years ago. Even if this is missed at the time of, uh, you know, not your patient, but nah, maybe a referring nah. optometrist or a surgeon doesn't pump the brakes to treat these imperfections on the ocular surface, yeah. if they go through and still get surgery, what I see with a lot of maybe staining or dryness or other imperfections are not as offensive as they would have been five, 10 years ago, right? So the technology has improved. We still want to optimize things to help patients with the best outcomes possible. But it's fun uh, to see this journey evolve where it's just gotten much better yeah. for patients. More wiggle room, would you say, with the, the, you know, the refractive outcomes and things like that, that there's a little less uh, specificity needed? Yeah, and you hear that term being used, you know, it's a forgiving lens. What does that mean? Well, it's more specific for surgeons, but I think it's, you know, real well for patients, for optometrists. Uh, 
anything that may limit the outcome, yeah. we know is not as, you know, maybe as important, right? Again, trying to optimize everything we can, like ocular surface disease. Um, but, you know, we know these technologies we're using today just improve or perform better than they used to uh, yeah. historically. Yeah, better performance. That's a great point. So, Josh, when you see a patient preoperatively that's ready for cataract surgery, significant cataract, you know, visual function is declining because of the lens, um, but they also have co uh, the comorbidity or concomitant ocular surface disease, what do you do? Great question. So kind of two subsets there, if you will. So there's the cataract, right? And we need to address that eventually. We can pump the brakes, but ultimately that patient came to you because they're frustrated with their vision. We can't wait two years to rehabilitate the ocular surface. The technology in that world's gotten better, but some patients, you know, they may be an 80-year-old female with Sjogren's, you're just going to have some limitation. Right. So if we identify ocular surface disease on maybe the normal mild-moderate patient, we can pump the brakes, treat them for six weeks, eight weeks, two, three months, whatever it's going to take to optimize that ocular surface in the cornea. There's a small subset, just no matter what we do based on age, demographics, or autoimmune disease, other risk factors, we can help them, but we can't make them perfect. Right. That's okay. It is what it is. But we do have IOLs that are there now. So that, that category, extended depth of focus, mm -hmm. there's two IOLs approved in that space, if you will. They're a little bit more forgiving, as we mentioned that term earlier. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, maybe contraindicated like a truly diffractive multifocal years ago, this new class, if you will, it's not too new now, will give them some good distance vision, good intermediate vision, some near vision. They may have, still have to wear a low pair of reading glasses but it doesn't have the offensive side effects of some of those diffractive IOLs we had in the past. So yeah. you can have a little bit more of this ocular surface disease on some of those patients. If you can improve it, we have, I like to go to the EDOF lenses where you're, you know, really have a little bit more wiggle room, as you mentioned. Right. If we can optimize it, you know, by pumping the brakes and treating them aggressively, then that opens the door to anything. Yeah. You know, trifocals, all the different technologies we can use there. Yeah. So I'm hearing really got to discuss it on the front end. Like, hey, there is this dry eye disease or ocular surface disease going on as well as your cataract. Um, we're going to treat that too. Um, I always say, you know, I can't cure your dry eye, but we're going to treat it to do the best surgery we can. Um, and we're going to address that on the back end too. And I think with some of the, you know, ocular surface disease therapies we have, more and more we're looking at getting that ocular surface repaired and better, healthier as soon as possible, um, helping our measurements, but all things do better cataract surgery. And I think that addressing it beforehand, letting the patient know what to expect, that expectation really removes that back end, uh, you messed up or you didn't tell me about this, that surprise that the patient can have afterwards if there are issues. Yeah, and I think now it's gone more, where biometry's gotten a lot better and these lenses have gotten better as far as being more forgiven, it's more about symptoms as well. So the old days, you don't want patients coming and saying the cataract surgery caused my eye dry. Right. It was there. We know it may worsen a little bit after surgery. And so if we can identify that treat, it's just a better experience, better outcome yeah. for both sides of the table there. Yeah. And giving patients the education to know, you know, this usually does get better just with time after your cataract surgery, but we're going to address it and deal with it and be uh, part of the team to help them see as, as perfectly as possible. Good point. So Josh, You've diagnosed a patient with ocular surface disease and a cataract. We've repaired their cataract. They had a great surgical outcome, but we know that's that ocular surface disease that's still there. What do you do differently postoperatively in that one day, one week, one month, and, and then ongoing to continue to address that ocular surface disease? I think early on, you've got to be empathetic. Talk to the patient saying, look, there was some dryness there. You know, you're 70 years old. Yeah. This dryness has been creeping along for decades. However, the surgery, whether it's the drops or the procedure itself, may have made that a little bit worse, whether what I'm seeing or the way you're feeling, we need to treat that. So I think if you engage them early on, 
validate their symptoms, validate their complaints. And then we have therapeutic options now that work quick, right? So we can start yeah. with a mild, moderate patient. There are three FDA approved drops there in that category, immunosuppressants. We can use corticosteroids now on label. And of course, a new category of nasal spray, neuro uh, yeah, stimulation will really work quicker there. So we have more dry treatment options, whether it's addressing FDA approved lid treatments there for expression, um, topical treatments, amniotic membranes. You know, we can really modulate and, and improve symptoms a lot quicker than we used to. Again, there's that 20% just no matter what, they're in that severe category, but for most of our patients, we can help them out on the back end. But I think the key is identifying it, being empathetic, acknowledging that they are worse off, you know, the dryness right. has progressed. Let's tackle that and be aggressive and make sure we help you feeling better. Yeah, so you focus on kind of a stepwise approach, it sounds like, adding levels of care and treatment into their ocular surface disease throughout that post-operative period. Yeah, again, it's almost like a dry patient, right? We would treat them and look at that stepwise approach, identifying all the risk factors causing issues, and then identifying how aggressive you need to be based on the severity. They had cataract surgery, yes, but there's dryness going on. We just need to really separate that and be aggressive on treatment there. Yeah. Isn't it nice, too, when you tell patients this and warn them about this and address it early, and they come back, and you're like, hey, how are we doing with the dryness? Like, do we need to address that? Like, what are you talking about? I feel great. I see great. Isn't yeah. that always fun? It's, uh, yeah, you, you know, you use whether it's fluorescein or lysamine, they kind of light up like a Christmas tree, right. and they're living life with no symptoms at all. It makes it a little easier on you. It just happens sometimes, but it's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, it's great when the treatments work and, and we address it on the front end. So, sure. Good idea. So, Josh, you know, there's a lot of comorbidities with age and ocular disease. Specifically, we talk a lot about age as a big risk for cataracts and cataract, needing cataract surgery, but also glaucoma. You know, about 8% of people have glaucoma after the age of 80. Um, what do you do or what are your thoughts in regards to cataract surgery in a patient with glaucoma? Good point. Yeah, good questions here. So years ago, we had to do really a front-to-back exam, and that was sort of a corneal topography looking at any or abnormal corneal issues. Um, is there a history of zonular weakness, trauma, pseudophagic, uh, or uh, pseudoexfoliation? Pseudoexfoliation, yeah, yeah. good point. Some of these issues that may cause you know a tougher cataract surgery, tougher case. And then, of course, going back, is there an epiretinal membrane, any other retinal scarring that made limitations there? And then, of course, the big one, as you mentioned, glaucoma there. Yeah. So Front-to-back exam, really... Comprehensive exam, huh? Yeah. Exactly. More back in the day for insurance to not use technology you probably shouldn't, but now to really explore maybe there are lenses that they want that we can use. So historically, multifocals were contraindicated in patients that had glaucoma or maybe other retinal pathology. We are in Atlanta, obviously, the large African-American population. We have a large subset of glaucoma patients there that are more advanced. So sometimes they're on two, three medications. We have three surgical glaucoma specialists in our clinic who are doing cataract surgery kind of as a primary thing these days, right. but also glaucoma surgery maybe separately or on top at the same time during cataract procedures there. Historically, these patients were kind of pushed away as far as any refractive procedures and refractive IOLs. And now there's technology we're using in the clinic, you know, the extended depth of focus, two of those in category that are, you know, not worrying about losing contrast sensitivity or splitting light and losing that energy and causing glare and dysphotopsias that we can do. Severe glaucoma still remains a debate. We're yeah. probably staying away from that, but opening the door for a lot of patients historically that could not get these lenses there, mm -hmm. now we have options. So you're using cataract surgery really to kill two birds with one stone. You're fixing the cataract and improving the patient's vision because of that, but also using it as an opportunity to treat their glaucoma, improve uh, their treatments and options there. Yeah, more options than ever before. I remember, you know, 
you starting our career, cataract surgeons love that opportunity to do cataract surgery because um, it would lower the IOP some, right? And right. you're going to help the angle and some of the stuff that just the mechanism of glaucoma itself. But now whether it's MIGS or, you know, other procedures that can be done at the same time with cataract surgery, even yeah. a standalone procedure after cataract surgery to address that. But the exciting thing too, I think, is from a refractive standpoint is that some of these technology, the IOLs that were out there today can still be used in patients historically that were contraindicated. Right. There. Yeah. So when do you start to think like, hey, you know, I can correct this refractive issue and in a glaucoma patient, where do I say, you know what, I'm a little worried about you not getting the quality of vision because of your glaucoma. I want to stay away from this technology. So a, a toric lens, I, you know, I'll, I'll help you out. A toric lens, a stigmatism correcting lens, that seems to be low-hanging fruit and not a problem for patients with glaucoma. What about other options? Yeah, the only patient that's not a candidate for toric is they don't have astigmatism, right? <laughs> um, but you know, those glaucoma patients always could and still can get correction with astigmatism there. But then, you know, severe glaucoma, we're, we're not doing much there with any yeah. sort of refractive or out of, you know, premium IOL, if you will. But some of the newer ones, the EDOF, allow us to give, and that's for that mild to moderate glaucoma mm -hmm. patient or other limitations like the retina. If they're not potentially a, you know, a binocular vision issue or amblyopia, we probably still want to avoid that technology because they just don't have the potential for a good visual outcome. But specifically glaucoma, in that mild to moderate glaucoma patient, there's options there that we'll consider that we would not have prior to these lenses coming FDA approved. Yeah, two cameras are better than one and those that synergistic effect, I think that is really important with advanced technology lenses. And that distance plus lens, you know, that lens that gives you distance with a little bit of plus, yeah, pretty safe these days to use that and, and, and with without issues and complications with pathology. Yeah, a new innovation there too, right? Even a, a monofocal, not an extra out, you know, out-of-pocket expense, if you will, but there's a monofocal FDA approved to really give you more than just distance vision there, right? Some enhanced intermediate near vision there. We can use that on some of these patients there. Ultimately, it's kind of fun to get in the weeds and talk about this, but patients just know, hey, there's a cool new lens my friend or my neighbor had or my family member yeah. that did more than just give distance vision only. We can use that on some of these uh, patients with limitations prior that we could not before as yeah. well. That's great tech, yeah. So Josh, uh, you know, the, I, allegedly there's this tissue in the back of the eye called the retina. I, I've heard of it. I, I see its great red reflex occasionally, but I, my understanding is there's some pathologies that can affect the retina, um, you know, specifically macular degeneration and epiretinal membranes that we might catch, you know, at mild stage or moderate severe stage sometimes at our cataract consult patients. Uh, experience and exam. What do you do in the setting of a cataract consult when you're seeing retinal pathology as well? Well, I think it's called retina, just, <laughs> just to it's, clarify it's French. that. Yeah, it's just preferred retina. But if we see retinal pathologies there, historically we would stay away from any sort of advanced technology. Yeah. Whether it's an epiretinal membrane, drusen, you know, I remember 15 years ago, genetic testing for macular degeneration was po you know, popular. And so the thought was, well, what if they show up as a potential risk history or risk factor for AMD or wet AMD, do we put a diffractive IOL that splits light, ultimately losing energy, increasing or decreasing contrast sensitivity? Uh -huh. Some of those issues, modern technologies we've discussed from the new lenses, the EDOF lenses there, we don't worry about that as much. They're less offensive if there's retinal pathology like AMD, Drusen, maybe it's dry AMD, mm -hmm. you're worried about it converting to wet, or maybe there's a wet AMD patient that's well controlled now, that's getting injections with retina doctor and he says or she says it's stable this retina is probably not going to change you're okay to go ahead and proceed with cataract surgery 
you know, it's just been fun having that other option for these patients there. Historically, we would just say, no matter what, you're getting a standard monofocal lens. Yeah, yeah. So great idea and, and great to have options. And, and including your retina colleagues is a great idea to get their perspective on whether this is stable or possibly progressive. Um, with peripheral retinal disease too, I think we'd need to think about optics of whatever lens we're putting in and making sure we don't set up our uh, retina specialists for failure in their ability to you know, look at the peripheral retina, image of the peripheral retina, laser the peripheral retina, um, watching things like nevi or you know, severe diabetic retinopathy as well. Um, any experience with you know, worrying about diabetes and, and lasering through lens implants? Sure, yeah, it's another potential limitation, right? And then a lot of our folks sometimes wait way too long to get cataract surgery and the retina doctor is pushing on us to do surgery because they have those decreased limits and viewing and that sort of thing. The cataracts can become so dense, yeah. they can't get through there to see well or do their procedures. So we'll proceed with cataract surgery knowing that they will have some retinal vis or lim visual limitations from the retina, but yet the retina doctor at that point can then treat them better, getting better visual view of that for lasers, treatments, injections, these sort of things yeah. there. So it's nice to work in coordination with retina. We know the best technology that's perfect for distance intermediate, intermediate near vision may not be a perfect option for these patients, but we have other options we can use there to help these patients out. Yeah, definitely want to set the retina guys up for success both ways with removing the cataract and, and giving them a lens that'll work well for them. And I, I've noticed that with the advanced technologies, I'm really seeing great image, you know, views through those lenses and have no problems with peripheral views and uh, dilated exams. Yeah, I think the technology's gotten better there just to visualize it or whether it's the mapping we can do, not us so much. Some doctors have that ability. The retina's yeah. really taken that up to photograph you know, peripheral images that we've never had before. So that's advanced as well. Yeah, those retina guys really get some pretty pictures. So in summary, you know, we've had a great conversation here. Um, we've talked a lot about applications of cataract surgery in the setting of other pathologies, whether that might be ocular surface disease, glaucoma, retina, that we have to, you know, see the eye as a whole and work together as a team to take care of our patients' pathologies and give them the best vision possible. Yeah, you know, the big common, most common thing is ocular surface disease, right? So now we have better, the best treatment options we've ever had before. And then also if it's just not, no matter what we do, we can't treat, we have IOL options that are more forgiving to help these patients. That's sort of the front of the eye where you and I live a lot yeah. of our career in. And then of course, posterior pathologies we discussed today, there's options we can use now that we couldn't use five, 10 years ago, that sort of thing. So it's nice to be a cataract patient to get the diagnosis of a cataract. We can help them uh, function with their vision. And it's nice to be a referring doctor or an optometrist to work with our co-managing surgeons because there's just more IOL options that are available today, more technology to really help these patients where historically they may not be able to, now we can to help them. Yep, we can treat their glaucoma with their cataract surgery, and we don't have to be ex exclusively know if they have other pathologies, that we have some options that can give patients a little more than just one specific distance. Great point. It's always fun hanging out with you, Josh. Thanks for uh, putting up with me this afternoon. and. And I look forward to working with you again soon. Yeah, great seeing you. Great discussion. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks to our audience for uh, listening to us and hanging out with us today.